0: Why did Matthew write his gospel? It was to convince who that Jesus was the Messiah, the Jews, the Jews. Yes. Yeah. So he really steeps us in not only all this, uh, prophetic, uh, connections from the old Testament, which Matthew is so good about, but in this imagery in uh, these parables really help us understand, wow, this had such a huge influence on how they understood everything else that Jesus taught.
1: o and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. Your journey of faith is something you're on, whether you like it or not. And we want to be part of your growing, not your shrinking in your faith, which is what happens when you don't put any effort into it. And we want you to be putting effort into it because what you believe about yourself is one of the most important things about you. And you need to know what you believe and why you believe it. And we're here to challenge you, to encourage you, to critically think for yourself and about mm. your faith so that when people ask you, what do you believe, you have an answer for them. My name is Jesse Mayer. I'll be your host, but we cannot do this without the one, the only, the salty pastor himself, <laughs> Dr. <laughs> Douglas Peak.
0: Hello, everyone. It's so good to be with you now. I know that many of you listened to the podcast last week yes. where I was here. And if you watching this on uh, YouTube, you're saying, oh, he looks different. Cause I shaved all that stuff off, he's, but the salty pastor's is a little less
1: salty in the, in the <laughs> hair area. He's, he's dark. I've, I've, I've cu-
0: I cut it all off. I had grown my hair fairly long and in this, uh, uh, people called it a squirrel tail on my chin. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) but I cut it off because the longer my hair grows, the wider it gets. It's really weird. (laughs) I went, you know, they, they, I went to the gal and she was cutting it. And she goes, "Yeah, every time I cut your hair, the shorter I cut it, it gets darker." She says, "So
1: So you're de-aging, right, before our It's eyes crazy. So for
0: all of you who are watching and you saw it last week, you're going, "Oh my gosh, that's really different." I go, "But that podcast we pre-recorded 6 weeks ago." <laughs> that's a long time. You're, you're telling them about our
1: movie magic oh. <laughs> <laughs> So it's
0: really not that dramatic. It's been 6 weeks. So Which has allowed me to uh, get some much needed rest and that was really nice and so I'm feeling refreshed.
1: Yeah, I think you've come in with a whole new energy. I'm excited that you're you're back in the saddle. I I mean, now that the cat's out of the bag about our movie magic, it's been six weeks (laughs) since we've gotten to record together and gotten to hang out and talk. And so I'm excited you're back. I know you have a lot of ideas cooking about where we're going in the future, as far as what the, what the series is we're doing and things uh, about that. And you're excited about those. So it's just going to be a great fall launch as we're heading into the fall season. People start coming back from camping and, Mm -hmm. and being outdoors. And we start settling back into routines and we want to be part of your routine so
0: yeah and i it's it's good to be back and you know i got to uh, to rest that that was a big thing you know to be able to rest and take some time off i did some writing i took a uh my my daughter-in-law has a uh, organization that uh reaches out and brings together uh people with disabilities Yeah and so she wants to hire them because they don't have a lot of opportunity for employment so she started a coffee business you know that she and so she needs coffee carts to go around that they set up and then these people will uh uh man them and so i built her a coffee cart Oh. So, so I've been doing that, writing a book, and, so and writing a, some other you're things. You're
1: resting so. in some ways, but yeah. not in all of the ways. Well, I like
0: to have something to do, a little break in energy, and you know it's really good. And I, to be able to come back at the tail end of this whole entire summer series on the parables of Jesus is really kind of Mm. fun for me because every parable that we've looked at over the course of the last 12 weeks or so, I think this whole series is 12 or 13 weeks long is that it's about the kingdom of God, all the parables tell us what it is. How we become a part of it what are the expectations once we are in it and so over the years i think it's really interesting is that theologians have had discussions and arguments and debates about well once you're in the kingdom of god what are the expectations and what the parables do is help us understand the expectations now recently well what's really interesting is these arguments aren't just recent they're very very old and i'll give you the background on them in just a moment but they're resurfacing again okay and what it is 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 it's a debate about well once you're involved and you become or you become a part of the kingdom of god can you ever get kicked out of it or pushed out of it or can you choose to leave it uh when you don't live up to the expectations of the kingdom of God. Now, the main reason, uh, this has been such a huge debate for 1800 years and why it's resurfacing today is, uh, basically because of persecution. Okay. okay. It, this, it always revolves around that back in the second century and then into the third century, and if you remember your history, which I'm sure every salty pastor <laughs> listener does is that Christianity always. was, uh, illegal until 312. AD, so the early fourth century, okay. early fourth century. So in the third century, between 200 and 300, there was a lot of persecutions that would come and go. And during one particular persecution, it was very severe. A lot of people renounced their faith. Okay. But this persecution only lasted three years. And so what happened is then after that emperor died and then it changed again, everybody said, well, I want to get back in the church. And so these people, so the people that suffered under the persecution, cause they refused to renounce their faith. They said, no, you can't because once you, uh, reject Jesus, that's the unforgivable sin that Jesus talks about. Okay. Um, that's blasphemy. You rejected it, you renounced it. And, uh, they said, you know, if you, they quoted Jesus, if you deny me before my father is who is in heaven, I will def- I mean, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father who is in heaven. And so what's interesting about that is that was the debate is if you renounced your faith and now you went back in, can we accept you back in? So this debate has been going on for 18, yeah, 1700 years. And so... I think today it's it's happening again, uh, not so much because of overt persecution, but because a, of a dilution or a lowering of the bar of what it means to live a Christian life, right? And so uh, I think it's really interesting if we go back just 500 years to the Protestant Reformation, uh, which was in the early... 16th century or the 1500s. Mm. See, people always get confused on those. And yes, at least I did for to, a long time. You
1: got you to do the backwards math. Yeah, you got
0: to yes. do the backwards math on it all the time. But uh, the primary issue around the Reformers, this is what's really interesting, in the Catholic Church, if you step back and look at it, was... The Catholic Church had overemphasized works and required all these works as a basis for being a member of the church and thus having access to salvation or going to heaven. And one of the five solas, there were five solas in the Reformation, and one of the solas was sola fide, which means faith only. You don't have to do all these works of the church in order to get the church's blessing to go to heaven. And so that. That was a debate that came from the third century because some people were like, well, why did the Catholic Church, you know, get to this point? We have to realize their debate started 15 or 1,000 years prior to that, right, where they were debating, do we let people who denied the faith back into the faith after the persecution ended?
1: It's so interesting to me how ideas or, or even debates from the past really influence our yeah. perceptions and judgments and w- how we do things today, right? Like the yeah. different uh, tasks that, and sometimes it's cyclical. Um, like you said, there's, there's old debates that come mm-hmm. back up into, into uh, prominence. Yes. My question is this should we be entering into these debates and taking a side or, or is there
0: a side like
1: what should we be doing about this information you just gave us about these old debates that have been waging for a long time?
0: Well, I think it, the the whole point of the salty pastor is to help people think for themselves. And the thing is, is that when you think critically for yourself, you always ask yourself is this, is that, well, what are you attempting to do in this debate or how are you framing your question at me? So if someone Mm. comes up to me and says, well, can you lose your salvation? What that tells me is more about them than my answer because what it is is they're trying to frame the conversation in this regard. So people say, well, once you're in the kingdom of God, could you be kicked out? You know, in, in a way they're framing that to say, what is the bare minimum of what I can do and still be a part of the kingdom of God before God says, I'm not living up to expectations. And my point is is that the is that the parables are here to teach us the nature of the kingdom of God. And when you understand how you become a part of it by accepting the invitation of Jesus Christ redeemed by him through faith, and then you then you start to understand that being in the kingdom of God is uh, the point and purpose of your life. That's what it's all about. And you start to understand, oh, this is what the kingdom of God has done in me, what it's doing for me, what it's doing through me to make an impact in the world. So you see that the question that they're debating is to reduce the kingdom of God simply to a religion. And the kingdom of God is not a religion. It is a life. Mm. It is a life. And so the point of the parables is to help us understand that life, the nature of of the kingdom of God and how, when we live in it, our life has a purpose. And so we're discovering our life's purpose. And what's important about that is living in the kingdom of God, discovering your life purpose is all about meaning. It's all about direction to your life. So it's what gives our lives value and helps us value the lives of other people. It gives us a worldview by which to understand what's going on in this reality in which we live. So it protects us, it sustains us, it matures us, it prospers us, it encourages us, it blesses us. So why desire to be in the kingdom of God, but reject all of these things. So it's about how you frame the question.
1: Yeah, I think. I'm, I've, I've realized more over these 320 something episodes that really understanding what question you're trying to pursue and then understanding what the framework around it is, is one of the best things you can do because Mm -hmm. I used to do this in debate all the time, but I kind of always only used them in. In debate. debate. Yeah. Like when I knew I was going into debate, I'm like, okay, I got to put that, that cap on and, Mm -hmm. and use my brain in that way, but I, I stopped Doing that, you know, when it came to anything outside the outside world and, and even in my faith or or you listen to the news or things like that, you you stop using those critical thinking skills or those yeah. those skills that they taught you in school because you're like, well, I'm not in school anymore. I don't need to apply this anymore. <laughs> I don't right? want it. I don't want it. And so I think a reminder of that each and every time we listen to the podcast is, hey, you got to be really intentional mm-hmm. about Putting on your thinking cap and going, okay, what is this trying to do? What is the context? What is the question? And what's the framework around all of it? Because that's going to help you determine your answer. Because
0: you don't want to be manipulated.
1: Yeah. So, uh... We're in kind of these final three parables yes. of, of our 12-week series. The one thing I noticed in the last three parables we're going to study, they're all in Matthew chapter
0: 25. Mm-hmm. Was that
1: intentional or just how <laughs> yeah. it kind of shook out?
0: Well, that's a good observation because the last three parables we're going to study are the parable of the ten virgins, it's the parable of the sheep of the goats, and the parable of the talents. And all three of these parables appear in Matthew chapter 25, which is uh, the the last chapter of big Teaching that Matthew includes before his betrayal, crucifixion and resurrection. Okay. Okay. So his, uh, his final days happen in just those last three chapters, you know, basically 26, 27 and 28. And so it's, it's kind of whoop. So this is his last big teaching. And I think that what Matthew did is he said, you know, these parables have been taught many, many times in many different uh, villages and towns. And so he, but he encapsulates them and records them all together. And we believe that he did that because they are all about kind of the, the end time, and then the great commission of Christ at the end of Matthew. And so it's all, the themes of all three of these parables are, number one, prepare yourself, be ready. Number two, being prepared is living out your values, the sheep and the goats. And then finally, the parable of the talents is you need to use what God gave you, okay? So it's all about that.
1: Well, that is some good context for us to jump into this first parable, which is about the 10 virgins. I'll read it, and then you can explain it to us. we'll jump in on it. Because I've read this one before, and I've gotten a little confused by it, so I'm excited to walk through it. So reading Matthew 25, starting at verse 1, Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil in flask along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they got all drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight, there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will be not enough oil for us and you two, go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came and those who were ready, went in with him to the wedding feast and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins came uh, also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he said, truly, I say to you, I do not know you be on the alert then for you do not know the day nor the hour. Wow. Now
0: this is uh, a powerful little, uh, a parable, and in the end is, he says, You need to be on the alert. You, need to be, you don't know when the final hour is going to come. And that what the most important part about this is, he uses a very common situation for these people in the first century. So we need to understand what they heard when he told the story of the wedding say, feast.
1: I don't know anything about. What they're talking about, because it seems like they were just hanging out for the groom and then they had to have lamps with them. I don't I don't (laughs) understand. Master. give me some context. Okay.
0: well, what's fun is, you know, you've uh, you know, over the years, you've helped me plan some weddings and do weddings and stuff. And 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 some people say, well, why do we do that in a wedding ceremony today? And so what we're going to do is we're going to try to explain some of that through this parable. It's really fascinating. And it's going to give you understanding about some other imagery within the new Testament, even imagery that, uh, Paul uses and then the apostle John in revelation, but basically what you have to understand is that there were not a lot of, uh, avenues for entertainment in society in, you know, that area, Palestine in the first century. Okay. And so there wasn't movies, there wasn't radio, uh... there's no Netflix. (laughs) There's not, you know what I'm saying? There's no moving pictures, your favorite pastor, there's not dramas and, you know, on the street corner where people are doing skits and, you know, there's not a lot of that. So one of the most important things in this Jewish culture is no, is weddings. Weddings are huge. And, uh, there are three phases to a Jewish wedding. And everybody knew this, and this is how it operated. First is called the uh, Sudukin. Okay. And what that means is basically contract. And this is the preliminary arrangements prior to the legal betrothal, which is called the erusin, And we won't, I'll jump into that for a second. But basically in preparation to betroth a man and a woman together, uh, the bride uh, referred to as Kala and the groom referred to as chitan, uh, chitan are separately immersed in water in a ritual called the mikvah. So it's like a baptism. Okay. okay. And then what happens is it's a, it, for them, it was an imagery of spiritual cleansing. So during this period of time, uh, the couple would enter a hoopa. And if you've seen a Jewish wedding, a hoopah is this canopy. It's a square canopy with these sticks and they carry it and they hold it up. And that's the imagery that these two people are going to come together and create a new home. Okay. Okay. So that's called a hoopah, And, uh, this is the point during uh, at the Shidken where they would sign the marriage contract. Okay. And at this time, the bride price would be paid. So it was a way in which women, girls in particular were, their value was brought up. Okay. And so a bride price would be paid. And the reason why they paid this price was because this woman was a part of her father's household and she was a contributor there. Right. Mm -hmm. So she contributes labor, she contributes support, and she's going to be removed from that house and start a new house. Right. Right. So the family that's losing her is going to lose all this value. So the bride price was based upon the value that that woman had to her family. So it was a way of valuing her contribution. You see so that raised her value in the eyes of. Of society, and so what would happen is they would the shidikan is they would work out the marriage contract, the bride pies would be set, then they would come together, they would immerse in waters, they'd put them under a hoopah, and then the groom would give the bride a, a precious gift, and that often became known as a ring. Okay. See, so that's kind of where the whole notion of wedding rings Gaming came rings. from. Okay. Yeah. So then, what would happen is then there would be a period. Now the second stage called the Harrison or the betrothal. And if you remember in the story of Mary and Joseph, they were betrothed to be married. Right. And then he wanted to divorce her, which people were like, well, how do you divorce someone you're not married to? Right. Well in the shiduken, when you sign the marriage contract, that's like a marriage license. So you, uh, technically you are married, but you don't have relations. There is no sexual. So she lives, the, the bride lives with her family. And then the groom who is living with his family, right? They now have during the Erison, the groom was supposed to prepare a new place for his bride. So he takes the imagery of the Huda and he makes it a reality. Okay. And so what he would do is if they were poor, oftentimes he would just add a bedroom or another room onto his father's house. If they were more wealthy, his dad, might give him part of his inheritance, a little piece of property, and he would build a house. Okay. So when you're building a house, remodeling, you know, it takes about a year. There was also a pragmatic reason why, and that was it proved that the bride was what she was pure. Right. Okay. And so uh, prior to her betrothal, and so there was this period of waiting. Now, the bride always knew to expect her groom somewhere about a year after the shiduka, during the Erison betrothal period. So she would expect this. And of course, the families are communicating. And so she didn't know what exact hour but what would happen is in, in their culture, this is kind of how it would work is they would figure out when she wasn't on cycle uh, she wasn't menstruating and then what they would do is the fathers would say, okay, she's in the middle of her cycle. And I don't know if the newlyweds knew this or not, <laughs> but, but what they would do is they would try to pick the time where, you know, the moms and the dads felt that she was most fertile. Yes. You see so it's like this is the biggest opportunity because they they wanted grandkids right away yes (laughs) they don't want to wait and so what would happen is once that was done somewhere around you know the it could be the 10th month or the 13th or 14th month sometime around there is they would say okay on this day he's going to come now during this year what she's been doing is she's been preparing herself She has to make, she'd make her own, uh, linen dress, which had to be pure white. She, they would make various, uh, uh, things like bedding and, you know, make all of these things, preparation, so forth. And the other thing she would do is she would procure lamps and these are little, uh, they're little handheld lamps. Okay. And so what would happen is on the day that the parents had kind of prearranged, she knew he was coming, so she would invite all of her bridesmaids or women who were virgins as well into her home and say we're going to wait for him to come. They don't know when he's going to come. Okay? And so that's where the term bridesmaid or lady in waiting came from. Okay. Is she would wait with the groom these women or with the bride. Yeah. Yeah. Waiting with the bride. And so what happened is then uh, the third stage after about a year was called uh, nesuin. And nesuin, excuse me, was the final step. And it was where nesuin in Hebrew means to take. Okay. So the groom would come and he would take his bride. And what he would do is his entourage, they would walk through the city streets or the town or whatever, and kind of like a little parade. So everybody would see it. And it was like, yeah, woohoo! it's a great day for you. Celebrate with him. And then what would happen is he would come out and he would sound the ram's horn known as the shofar. They would blow it. And at that blowing, everybody would perk up and everybody go, oh my goodness, the time is now. And then they would light their lamps. And then these little handheld lamps that were fueled with uh, olive oil. And they would then march around in a parade through the town. Now, everybody else who's seeing this was like, this is so exciting. I want to join the parade. Okay? And some people would. They'd join and clap and dance and have a great time. But when they would get to the groom's new house, they would enter into the Nisuin, Nisuin. And what they would do is there would be a short ceremony. And in this ceremony, uh, what they would do is they would march around the bride and groom seven times, okay? Then what they would do is they would put them under the hoopah, all right? And then they would, which seven is the, you know, number of completeness and wholeness, they would say their aish, their vows together, And then what they would do is they would consummate their marriage and there would be a, if they were not people of means, they would have a three day wedding feast. If they were people of means, oftentimes it was seven days. Okay. So there, everybody's there when all this is happening. So it's bringing all your relatives on your honeymoon, basically fun. (laughs) They're all there. (laughs) Uh, And so what happened is, is that people, you know, if there's a seven day wedding feast and you're a part of the parade, what do you want to do? Be part of the, you want to crash the wedding? Yeah. You're crashing it. You know, you want to get in there. So what was your ticket? To get through the door into the wedding feast and the Nisuin.
1: Well, you said earlier that they had lamps, right? That's like right. Like they had to have a lamp. That's basically your...
0: That's your ticket, ticket in. in. Okay. Yeah, they couldn't print tickets. They couldn't right. scan things. So your ticket in was a lamp. Okay. So you see these people knew all this. They'd all participated in this. And as soon as he said five virgins didn't bring oil everybody at that time went you know what is that what do, what do jewish people say when the jewish moms say you know they go oh, meat or shupa or something like that hit their foreheads that was their reaction their reaction was oh my goodness these young girls and the sad thing about it is the wedding feast was one of the primary places where young single girls could willingly and openly mingle now with young single men. Okay. So you you wanted to go to a wedding feast as many times a year as you could when you were getting close to the marriageable age because you wanted your parents, right, to meet the parents of the boy you liked, the boy who liked you wants his parents to meet your parents right. because they know who arranges you know the wedding contract and that is The parents, the parents. And so it was a really big deal, had a huge impact on your life. And so everybody wanted to be at it. So to be locked out and to miss out was to miss out on the future opportunity and point of your life and to be happy. And so Jesus is saying that, look, when it comes right down to it, you have to, he said, you have to be prepared for when that horn is blast and that everybody lived that way. Mm. No one would, no lady in waiting would ever go to wait with her bride without extra oil. Right. They wouldn't do it because you have, and that's why these other women wouldn't share because they had to have enough for the parade and the parade cake, you know, an hour, two hours long, marching through the streets until you get to the house. Right. Right. Cause it was a spectacle. And so that's why they wouldn't share because they're like, we're going to run run out out, and then then. I'm going to be locked out. Yeah. And so that's why he uses that imagery. So now that you understand this, you start to understand what Jesus is saying is that, you know what it means to be prepared. You know what it means to wait. You know what it means to be ready. Guess what? The kingdom of God is exactly the same way.
1: Mm. Well, it seems like Jesus is using an experience that literally everybody would be familiar with, yeah, right? As yeah, he tends to do in these parables. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I see these parallels in this parable in some other sections where it talks about, you know, this kind of final trumpet or I, it would probably be a shofar, right? They yeah. didn't have trumpets back then. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians, the the trumpet blast in Revelation. Yeah. Um, and then the statement of Jesus saying, we don't know the hour. But we should be reading the signs is also the same thing of, you know, I know there Mm -hmm. are people that study end times very thoroughly, but you can only study so much because Jesus says, you're not going to know. Like, I'm not, I'm not, you're just not going to know. And so I think all of this makes a lot more sense when, when you understand this parable, it unlocks so many other portions of the Bible that maybe were a little confusing at the time but now yeah, now but it's the it's now they're the same relevance. imagery yes.
0: it's the same imagery that you should live prepared and then there's going to be an announcement there's going to be a horn there's going to be a trumpet mm-hmm. blast and we're all going to hear it you especially know
1: especially cuz they use the imagery of a wedding so many right. times with uh Jesus being the bridegroom and and the church being the bride yeah. so it's like we're seeing Similar all things. over again, yeah, okay.
0: because why, remember, why did Matthew write his gospel? It was to convince who that Jesus was the Messiah. The Jews. The Jews. Yes. Yeah. So he really steeps us in not only all this uh, prophetic uh, connections from the Old Testament, which Matthew is so good about, but in this imagery, in uh, these parables, really help us understand, wow, this had such a huge influence on how they understood everything else that jesus taught
1: absolutely well thank you pastor i'm excited for us to dive deeper into this on thursday i'm sure you have lots of uh, other things that you have to share with us about this particular parable, and we're excited you're back in in the saddle and ready to be cruising along. And uh, I I made this decision while you were gone, but oh my. Uh, we haven't switched everything over to the new YouTube yet because we didn't want to do it without you here. So okay, we're gonna let it go until the end of this month, and then okay, everything's on the new YouTube channel after that. So if you Got still it. have not subscribed to the new Salty Pastor YouTube channel, make sure you do that because um, at the end of August we are mm-hmm. moving everything over there, and they. It won't be on the foothills, Christian church, YouTube anymore. And we don't want you to miss out on your by, you know, twice a week, salty pastor. And when you move
0: over, be sure and hit the subscribe button for it so that you always make sure that you get it. But also once our subscriptions get up past a thousand, it allows us to embed links in, so we get access to technology, So
1: send them to people, um, If if you're looking for, if you want to go back and, uh, leave a comment on an old episode, um, those are all the old episodes are also on theirs and that would be really helpful for the channel to be discovered as well, to help get those subscriptions up as well. So thank you guys so much for joining us and we will see you on Thursday here on the Salty Pastor Podcast.
0: Good to be back.